0: We're looking at the book of Matthew and for the last three weeks, and we're just finishing up chapter 1. In verse 18 it says, This is how the birth of Yeshua the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And so the thing here is that Mary was pledged to be Joseph's wife. And so what that means is that they're in this period of betrothal. And what it really means for all intents and purposes, though, is that they were married. They were When you were pledged or you were betrothed, you were married except that you had not yet lived together. And the process went something like this. When you were reaching uh, the age of marriage, your father uh, would go out and he would arrange for a bride for his son. And when he found a suitable bride, he would make the arrangements to secure that bride for his son. And after the arrangements had been made, the groom and the bride would enter into this stage of marriage called erusin in Hebrew, or what we call betrothal. And this period would last a year. And during that time, they would be husband and wife, except that they didn't cohabit. They were, for all intents and purposes, married. And so there needed to be a dissolution of marriage or a divorce in a case of marital unfaithfulness. And so even though they had not come together, there had to be a dissolution of this marriage. Notice it says that Joseph was a righteous man. And because of that, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. You can imagine what it must have been like for a woman who had made that kind of a mistake with a man in that kind of a society. In our society, we've kind of been desensitized to these things. But this was a major disgrace for a woman. She would have never lived this down. Neither would her family who raised her. Joseph has compassion on Mary. Obviously, he has much respect for her and her family. And oftentimes, the father of the groom made his selection of a bride from a family that he knew very well, a good family. And in this case, we're told that Joseph was a righteous man, and we can assume that his father was as well, and he would have chosen his bride from a righteous, upright family. And it must have been hard for Joseph to comprehend how this righteous woman that his father had chosen could be found in this condition. Think of how hard it would have been for her family. Think of how hard it would have been for Mary. Matthew doesn't give us a lot of information uh, here, but if we go to the book of Luke, he gives us a bit more, so we'll go over there. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town... In the Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings to you, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his word and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Notice it says she was troubled by his words, not by his presence, mind you, not by him being an angel, mind you, but she's troubled by his words. And we're going to hear some of those words in a moment, but since we already know what they are, you can imagine why she'd be so troubled. The Talmud tells us that seldom was a woman stoned for adultery, but think of the stigma that might make this young woman wish she were stoned in the end. Since she's betrothed, that would be uh, what she would be accused of. She would be accused of Adultery, and can you imagine the humiliation she would suffer in a very religious society that first-century Israel was? This would, for all intents and purposes, would mean a life of embarrassment, a life of suffering. Not much worse could happen to a young woman who was betrothed, to be found with child before marriage, that marriage was consummated. And so you can begin to understand why she might be troubled at the words. But let's read on. It says, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Yeshua, and he will be great, and we will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And so the angel says, don't worry, i got good news for you right? However, he leaves out a bit of the bad news. He says, yes, he's gonna reign over the earth, Mary, but what he leaves out is you're gonna have to watch him die first, and you're gonna go to your grave a tainted woman. Mary undoubtedly did suffer in this life as a tainted woman. We know this is true because some of the writings that are found in the early Talmudic writings about Mary and how she had fornicated with a Roman soldier now Mary speaks, and it says, How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her own age, old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible for God. I think there there are a few more people that probably need to read these verses, amen. Because there's, there's a lot of people who like to deny this, and it's 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 uh, prevalent in some of the messianic, uh, move, some of the messianic movement. And I'm referring to those who don't believe that Yeshua is the Son of God. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He is the Son of God. This was a special creative work by God to allow His Son was with him at creation to become a man. And so people say, well, how can that be? Well, we just read it. Nothing is impossible for God. And Mary's response, I love her response. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be as you have said. And then the angel left her. So you can imagine what a wonderful time that this was going to be for Mary. On the one hand, She's heard from an angel of God, and she knows from her behavior that within her is God's gift to the world, the Son of God, because she was a virgin. How else could she be with child? He was the Messiah that every Jewish woman had hoped for. And so what a joy it would be on the one hand. On the other hand, to have to tell your parents, hey, this child is what the Lord has done. Right? Right? To have to face your betrothed and tell him, hey, this is what the Lord has done. Not an easy sell. Still, she has the angel's words, Mary, don't be afraid. The words she spoke at the end tells us volumes about this woman, Mary. They're the words you expect to hear from Abraham or David. Here I am. Let it be as you've said. I'm the Lord's servant. Now, it said in Matthew that Joseph was a righteous man, and that means that he was righteous in his deeds. In other words, he was a charitable man, a kind man, a compassionate and forgiving man. For a better description of what a righteous man is, you only need to read Exodus chapter 34, the attributes of God, because a righteous man will display those attributes. That's what a righteous man is, because we're told there is only one who's righteous, and that's God. And so for a a man to be righteous, he has to exhibit those character traits. And so because he's a righteous man, he doesn't want to seek revenge or to further belittle her for her indiscretion, but he seeks to put her away quietly. And what I want you to see here, he's showing God's attribute of mercy and kindness. But then on the other hand, a righteous man also lives by established laws. And so we see that he's going to give her a writ of divorce because that's what's required. And this says something about the heart of God and the letter of the law because we're told that Joseph is a righteous man, and yet it appears he's not going to be acting according to the Torah. According to the Torah, adultery must be exposed. Listen to what Deuteronomy. Chapter 20, verse 10 says, If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress, must be put to death. Even though the Torah speaks of exposing the sin, he seeks to keep it quiet. So his compassion and mercy override the letter of the law. And we're going to see this same behavior at the bottom of Yeshua's uh, teachings as well and his walk. I spoke of this in the Life After Yeshua's, de- after Yeshua's Ascension study that we do at Havdalah. Yeshua tells a scribe that the two greatest commands are love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and the second is like the first, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, these two don't replace all the other commands, but they sum up all the other commands. And so what Yeshua does... In his ministry, he looks at the command and the situation, and then he says, how does my response to this fit loving my God and loving my neighbor as myself? And then Yeshua responds accordingly, which is the same thing we should do. But if we look at Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, it says... If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and sends her from his house, so well, we find that, and the rabbis agree that there's an obligation to put her away on the wife of, on the part of Joseph. The rabbis looked at this as a requirement, a command. You're supposed to put her away if she's found not to be a, a virgin, if, she's, if there's something indecent about her. And what we're learning is that often compassion and mercy outweigh judgment. And we see this in the ministry of, of Yeshua. If we look at John chapter 8, you know some Pharisees bring Yeshua a woman caught in adultery, in the very act of adultery. And so they said, Should she be stoned or should she not be stoned, as is the command of Moses? And after Yeshua points to, the, to some sin of the Pharisees, they leave Yeshua, and he says this to her in, in John chapter 8 and verse 10. Then Yeshua got up and says, Hun, where did all those finger pointers go? Didn't dare you one of them stay to chuck some rocks. No, Lord, she answered. And Yeshua says, then I ain't chucking none either. Run on now and quit ye misbehaving. That's a special translation from the Ozarks. (laughs) Remember what I said in week one of this study. Context is everything. Even the hillbillies have their own traditions and translations. But seriously, you get the gist of the verse. The point is, God is compassionate and forgiving in his nature, and there none righteous except him. And so if you're a righteous man, you're going to display these same attributes. Think about it the next time you want to beat somebody up with the Torah tell them how they should live their lives. Because if you want to apply the letter of the law to someone's life, apply it to your own but when looking at others, apply mercy and forgiveness that you'd like to be shown. And if you do that, you'll be fine on Judgment Day. So, he's a righteous man. He seeks to put her away quietly, to end the marriage quietly, but before he can do that, he has a dream. And this is interesting. Joseph is going to have a series of dreams about Yeshua. Yeshua, remember, means salvation. The angel of the Lord said to him, you shall name him Yeshua for he will save his people. It means salvation. If we go back to the lineage in Matthew, he says this in verse 16, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Yeshua. And we're told that that this is Joseph whose father's name was Jacob. Well, you know, there's another dreamer who was the father of Jacob, and his name was Joseph as well. He too had dreams, and they were dreams of a prophetic salvation of the Jewish people. Listen to what Genesis chapter 37, verse 5 says. And Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. And he said to them, listen to this this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And then he had another dream. And he told his brothers, Listen, I had another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. Well, let me just say, if you ever have a dream like that, you might want to keep it to yourself. But... <laughs> These dreams, these dreams all tell of a time when Joseph would be ruler over Egypt and save his people from starvation. And here we see up in our new covenant that Joseph again has some dreams. And he is, his father is Jacob. But let's, let's read on about what his dreams are. And after he had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, In a dream, Joseph. And he took Mary home as his wife. That must have been some dream, amen? Joseph is told not to put Mary uh, away, but to marry her. And that the child within her womb is the son of God. Notice he calls him also the son of David, pointing to his lineage to David. And so Joseph's dream is not like the dreams of the Joseph of the book of Genesis. The dreams in the book of Genesis are symbolic dreams. But here we see no imagery, just straight talk. And when you think about it, that's probably exactly what it would've took. Just some straight talk. And it must have been a really vivid dream, too. (laughs) But anyway, the angel tells him the name of the master, Yeshua, a common name in the first century meaning salvation. And while we're talking about the name, you know, you hear a lot of people want to call Yeshua a variety of names, from Yahshua to Yahushua, and recently I just read another one, Yahushua. All things they think uh, think up, I think. Are, but, you know, I, I appreciate their heart in it because they want to put the ineffable name in Yeshua's name. They want to get that Yah in there and that's what this is all about. So I appreciate their sentiment, but if you speak to any biblical Hebrew or Aramaic scholar, they will tell you that Things like Yahushua were not names in the first century, but Yeshua was a quite common name in the first century. And Yeshua actually means salvation. It just means salvation in and of itself. And uh, we can find this word used many places in Scripture that will be prophetic of Messiah Yeshua. And so, But there is a problem with the name and the prophecy given And it is a problem that has made witnessing to the Jewish people very difficult. It says that Yeshua will save his people. And that means one thing to us, but it meant something entirely different to the first century Jew. To the first century Jew, it doesn't necessarily mean what it means to us. We have Yeshua's salvation nicely compartmentalized. He saved us from our sins, so one day we're going to die, and then we're going to go to be with him in heaven because he saved us. But to the first century Jew, he was looking for a bit more from the Messiah. They were looking for one who would deliver them from the afflictions suffered in this life, physical afflictions. You know, if we look at scriptures, we're going to see that people came to Yeshua for healing of disease, because they thought he was the Messiah. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27 says, And Yeshua went on from there. Two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. They're calling him the son of David, Messiah, because they expected Messiah to be able to have mercy, to heal them of these afflictions. We see it again in Matthew chapter 20, verse 29. And Yeshua and his disciples were leaving Jericho, and a a large crowd followed him, and two blind men were sitting alongside the road. And when they heard that Yeshua was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The point being is that these people were expecting a bit more of the son of David. They were expecting him to arise with healing in his wings, as the prophecy of Matthew, uh, Malachi says. They were expecting Messiah to come and deliver them from demons. Listen to what uh, Matthew chapter 15 says. Leaving that place, Yeshua withdrew to the region of Tyre in Sidon, and a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came out crying, Lord! Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. There's another place we can see these expectations. What were the expectations the Jewish people had of Messiah? Well, let's look. In this next passage is Matthew chapter 11, and John is in prison, and he wonders if Yeshua is the King Messiah who's going to rule over the earth. And we read this in verse 2. When John heard in prison what Messiah was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? And Yeshua replied, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised. The good news news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. And so Yeshua here, he lists off, he sums up the things that they expected Messiah to do. Deliverance, salvation, healing from afflictions. Now here's the problem with all of this. What I want to ask is where are these things in the gospel that we preach? Where in the good news do you hear that diseases are healed? Where in the good news that is preached today do you hear you're no longer going to be afflicted by demons of the world that torment you? You see, what I'm saying is that was part of the gospel then. They expected these things to happen. It was part of the good news. But it's not part of the good news that's preached today. How many times do you hear somebody on the street corner passing out tracts to someone who's afflicted saying, pick up your mat and walk? It's not part of our gospel. I'll tell you what, I tell you, when I accepted the Lord, I had a miraculous healing. But I didn't have anybody preaching to me. I just cried out to the Lord to be healed, and He healed me. I'm glad I didn't have anybody there because I would have probably not thought that that was part of the package. And I might have walked away still sick. But I didn't know it wasn't part of the package. I was naive enough to believe that God could heal me, and the next morning I woke up healed. It should be part of the gospel that we preach. Amen? That is the church, and and the reason is it's our failure to understand the good news as the Jewish people understood it. They were expecting something much different. There's another type of affliction they expected Messiah to end, and we'll read about that in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. You see, the leadership of Israel knew the Son of David, the Messiah, meant trouble for them, because the thought of the day was that Messiah was going to defeat the armies of Rome, reestablish his kingdom in Israel. Other messianic figures had been troubled as they tried to do this and were defeated because the leadership in Israel were little more than hirelings of Rome to keep the peace. And they only kept their jobs as long as they did keep the peace. And so this was the other expectation of the Messiah And it was not fulfilled by Yeshua in his first coming in the first century. And the Jewish people have remained in exile and oppressed to this day. And so it's a stumbling block for them. No kingdom, no world peace. How could he be the Messiah? We can see this expectation in another place. And the sadness as a couple disciples walk on the road. And they meet a risen Messiah in Luke chapter 24 and verse 17. Yeshua asked them, "Why are you discussing toge- what are you discussing together as you walk along?" And they stood still, their faces downcast, and one of them named Cleopas, asked him, "Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? Don't you know the things that have happened here in these last days? What things he asked? About Yeshua of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, a powerful in the word indeed, before God and all the people. And the chief priests and the rulers hauled him over and sentenced him to be to death. They crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And so we see the disappointment of these disciples. But also we see what the Jewish people expected as a whole. And he did not establish the kingdom that they were expecting, and so therefore he couldn't be the Messiah to them. There's another way the church has missed the boat in regard to the salvation that Yeshua brought, and that is it says he will save his people. He's going to save his people. And the catch here is his people. Who are his people? Well, that's an easy question. Mary's a Hebrew of the nation of Israel. He was a Hebrew of the nation of Israel. Yeshua came to save Israel. That was a given in the first century. It's a given in our our messianic writings, in the letters of Paul. It's a given. He came to save Israel. It's also why we read things that Paul wrote All Israel will be saved. It's why we read things like, you're no longer foreigners or aliens, as he wrote to the Gentiles, but you are now grafted in. But because of bad hermeneutics, the church has been taught that we've replaced Israel. Let me say, lest we forget, there's no no world salvation apart from God saving Israel. And if you want to be part of that salvation, you need to be grafted into Israel. Nothing could be clearer in the book of Romans than uh, read chapter 11. There's no other way you can understand that. How do we get the idea that the church has replaced Israel? Well, because of early doses of anti-Semitism in Rome, and because of that, In part, also, the way our Bibles are translated. We've come to that. But that's uh, another lesson, and if you want that lesson, we're going to be covering that on Saturday evenings at Havdalah when we look at the early church. When God says Yeshua has come to save his his people, let me say this, it was a complete salvation. And when we studied the book of Galatians, we found the point of the book was that the people of Galatia had, again, failed to comprehend this salvation that Yeshua brought. There's nothing new under the sun. In the case of Galatia, they thought they had to, subs- they had to add to that salvation with works of their own hands, like circumcision. They felt they had to follow the prescription of the rabbis to be part of Israel, to be grafted into Israel. When in fact, they had accepted Yeshua, he had washed them clean and grafted them into Israel, and there was nothing left for them to do. That's the whole point of the book of Galatians. Any following of the prescription of the rabbis to be grafted into Israel was actually a slap in the face to the good news and the Messiah. A lack of understanding a lack of faith in the salvation that he and God, the Father, had poured out. But understand, the assembly, this Israel that we're a part of, this assembly of Yeshua that we're a part of, there's no other way you're going to be part of that salvation, part of Yeshua's assembly, than to be part of Israel. And let me say something else. Yeshua's assembly... What we have translated in our Bibles as church didn't start with Peter. It started with Abel. But enough said of those things. The point is this. Yeshua was bringing a complete salvation. And the churches missed that to their detriment. He was restoring David's throne, but it was not in the way of Jewish expectation. The Jewish people missed that to their detriment. And God tells us flat out, My ways are not your ways. you think by now we would have gotten that. Amen? My ways are not your ways. We should have gotten that. Matthew, in verse 22, says this. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so he's giving us a proof text Uh, that Yeshua is this one born of a virgin that Isaiah spoke of in chapter 7 and verse 14. It says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. This is going to be a sign. This is how you're going to be able to tell that this is Yeshua the Messiah. It's a sign. It's a post in the road for you to see. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and we'll call him Emmanuel. Next time somebody tells you that, Yeshua wasn't born of a virgin. Ask him, well, how else are we going to know who the Messiah is if he wasn't born of a virgin? Because that's the sign that God gave. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 adds to it. For, us, for unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on Do- David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it, upholding it with justice, righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish that. And we get some titles for the Messiah in here, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and our namesake, Tsar Shalom, Prince of Peace. These titles explain Yeshua's ministry and what he's going to do on the earth. they speak of his nature. He's the Prince of Peace. And if we put our trust in him, He'll give us peace in our lives, in every area of our lives. That's what the good news is about, that you're going to have shalom, peace, blessing, safety in your life. And it's a complete package. It's a physical package, an emotional package, and it's a package that lasts through all eternity. Amen? The book ends, this first chapter I should say, ends with this. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home to be his wife. He had no union with her until she gave birth to her son, and he gave them the name Yeshua. He took his wife home, and he took her to Bethlehem during the feast of Sukkot. And Yeshua, the salvation of the world, was born, born of the seed of a woman who was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, and he was the Son of God. Amen?